Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay, Dave Clay. Have you ever tried to sweep the floor with a broom that has the head but not the handle? Uh, so you might think to yourself, where does he come up with these ideas or these thoughts? Um, <laughs> most often it's from real life experiences, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I have in my day, especially of late, ended up finding myself with broken handles. They don't make wood like they used to. And uh, whether it's a broom, even a shovel, a shovel maybe is a more common situation, at least for me, go digging, you've got the actual part of the shovel, the scoop part, whatever they call that part, and uh, you put it in the ground and you you have to jump on it a bit with your feet or your foot, depending on how hard or in that same way moist soil might be, and you jump on it and you get it in and Maddox, maybe? I'm not sure what that part of the the shovel is called. And you go to digging something up, and you think you got it, especially if it's a bush or something of that nature, and you discover, no, the roots go far deeper than you thought. So you go messing with it, go messing with it, you go digging, you go digging, you go around it, you go under it, until finally you get so frustrated with it, you just think, oh, okay, I'm at a point right now where little by little I've gotten to this place where I can uproot it and uh, I'll just give it one push and I have it pushed down uh, on the handle. And unfortunately when you do that, then the handle breaks. And then you're, you find yourself with a big hole, or a lot of dirt, and the bush is one. <laughs> the shrub is one, the tree is one. Same thing with trying to sweep the floor. You can't really sweep the floor without a handle. You can, but you're on all fours, and it's a long time, and handles are important, but they don't seem as important as the actual part of them, the uh, Maddox part of it, the shovel part of it, the broom head, as they call that part of it, seems to be, that's the part. (laughs) No, it's the handle. Try to do it without the handle. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, or Elisha, however you prefer, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too small for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto the Jordan, and take there every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go. (laughs) And one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. Come with us. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cut it in 
there, and the iron did swim, or cast it in there, and the iron did swim. Therefore he said, Take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. (laughs) Now there's a lot of levels or layers to the Bible. There's the obvious, there's the very, very, very simple, there's the common every day. But then there's the holy man of God, Elisha, Elijah. And then there is, with Elisha and Elijah, always something else going on. Why? Because though he lives in this world, he is, as the Apostle Paul would have put it, not of this world. His communications are of higher order, maybe certainly higher order, but maybe higher order because they're more complete Not that there isn't a material dimension to everything. We just need to be of highest order. (laughs) Complete, we need to understand. It's not just always the most obvious. It's not just always the simplest. It can be. (laughs) But even in the simplest things, you find God. And even in the simplest things, there is a prophetic word to be found. And I don't think this is simply about axe heads breaking And missing handles. (laughs) Or separation of the head from the handle. So, beginning with verse 1 and through verse 7. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Elijah, Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too small for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto the Jordan, and take there every man a beam And let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go. Now, this is once more, for those of you who have been loyal followers of the podcast, this is at 2 Kings, once more. We've been in 2 Kings for several podcasts. We've actually been in 1 and 2 Kings for multiple podcasts. This is chapter 6. This is not Elijah, it's Elisha. Alicia, that's why I pronounce it that way, just to make sure that I don't do what I did a moment ago. Mispronounce and confuse everything and everyone. But they're having problems with the Syrians in Samaria. King Ahab has fallen prey to his own evil ways. And the Syrians were part of that. Elijah was part of that. At this point, the mantle has now been passed on to Elisha, and the Syrians are still engaged with Israel. And still, in that conflict, transactional sort of dimension way, they're still squabbling. They're still fighting back and forth. But even as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, the people of God, children of God, and children of Israel, needed a promised land. Uh, was it going to be large or small? I think the entire earth is the promised land, if you look at it geographically. Certainly for the sake of, again, the higher order of things. In spiritual dimensions, it is for sure. Not only the entire earth, but all peoples upon the earth. God has no room for squabbles. The end is that the whole earth be claimed for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
and that with that we all be again (laughs) children of God. He just chose Israel, whom probably is more like the handle than the head, I would hope, in this sense. You can't really do anything with the axe head if you don't have an axe handle. You can't do anything with the mattox or the spade. That's probably what it's called, with the shovel. Without the handle, you can't do anything with the broom. <laughs> head without the handle, you can, but it's not much. And God wanted the children of Israel, I think it's okay to say, to be the handle. <laughs> And many other things. But to, in his hands, in God's hands, allow him to do his bid, his bidding, what he desired, which is, again, to bring forth the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> in one sort of dimension or accord, covering the earth with his glory, all peoples, but not necessarily from the outside in, but from the inside out. And that's kind of a handle axe thing, too. The Syrians were the head, axe head, (laughs) in a literal sort of way. They were just cutting everything down and everything out in their pursuit, their dominance, their power grab. Ahab, unfortunately, though he was of Israel, had a bit too much of that. Or maybe he fell prey to, as we've pontificated as well, and the most recent of podcasts, maybe he just fell prey to all that and hypervigilant and knew where that was going and just felt like he had to fight back and in that then became maybe too much transactionally so, politically so, selfishly so, though for a good cause and reason, wrong way to do it and ended up dying by the same sword. As the saying goes, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. I think Elisha in this chapter was speaking of more than axe heads and handles. And though they all went to the Jordan, <laughs> and there is a, a, a lot of symbolism there. Um, John the Baptist, baptism, crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Covering the earth with God's glory, furthering the kingdom. Not a bad pursuit. Did Elisha, Elisha choose to go? Yes. Did he go reluctantly? I'm not entirely sure. But he already knew that (laughs) this expansion of the kingdom, so to speak, by all of these prophets was really not going to amount to much. If only because of his higher ordered communications. His existence in this world but not of this world with God allowed him in a prophetic way to understand there was just a whole lot more squabbling and wrangling and transactions and fights and conflicts that was going to go on before this thing was finished, before Jesus came and then the first time and will still awaiting come again a second time to fully establish the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven as would then be first and foremost imminent proceeding emanating proceeding imminently from within him 
as given unto the world, as with Holy Spirit blessing, as with really what Ahab should have done with the Syrians. He should have, rather than just gone up and tried to take what was rightfully his by force, more than even lying, cheating, and stealing, political wranglings, Though it was righteous and righteous indignation that followed because the Syrians were not of the same degree or level of righteousness, had not this elegant communication with God, Israel did. Ahab had access to Elijah. He was warned, foretold. Yes, it was prophetic. It was still mysterious because he was not yet opened to receiving fully the impartation, not of the Holy Spirit, of the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Knowing what the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, would be, knowing that God is love, the fruit of the Spirit is love, knowing that whatever you do needs to be done first and foremost, always in love, demonstrating grace and mercy and benevolence. And if there is a judgment, let God's judgment be the judgment. But even so, we've declared that. God does not judge by condemning people to hell. People condemn themselves to hell because God does not change. Is God a God of wrath? Yes. But his wrath is not from him. The wrath is from us. He just takes the wrath that is from us. And then in that way that it eats us up from within, it spills out into others and it corrupts everything and it is as with ashes from within even so as unto the devil Satan himself we destroy ourselves and the world around us we all become axe heads cutting down trees that's not the way to do it you do have to prune trees There are natural consequences and transactional dimension in the material world that does that for us, for God. We do not have to do that to one another. There's plenty enough natural consequences for sin and evil, evil and sin, iniquity and sin in this world. We do not need to do that. God no longer does that. He established it so that the judgment was finished from the beginning. We just need to recognize, especially as Christians, how that is so that what happens is is that we do not get caught up in our own sense of self-righteousness and stray far, 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 far from the way. As eventually would happen to Israel, as much Ahab did not enter into any sort of attempt at true grace, mercy, and forgiveness, though he'd received plenty of it from God, It's continuing. Syria didn't go away. Israel did not have total conquest of them. They did not take it back, their promised land, whether it's geographical or in this sense, higher ordered. That's what we want. Need to lead with that. The geography will follow. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Lead in the spirit, by the spirit, in love, with forgiveness, with grace, with mercy, but also righteousness. It's okay to point out righteousness. 
You just don't want to participate in the lesser ordered righteousness of the Syrians. They're merciless. They're not penitent. They don't know God in the same way Israel knew God, knows God. We as the church know God through Jesus Christ because of God sending Christ, his son, Jesus, so that we might then be restored. We might then know the voice so that we might then, from outside Jesus, as accepting him into our heart, begin to hear the voice from within us. He speaks to us, Jesus, God, from within through the Holy Spirit or words that are inspired of the Holy Spirit unto love, unto reconciliation, unto forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and God's judgment. It's not ours. But because (laughs) nobody was getting it and wasn't supposed to, it's still Old Testament, until Jesus comes, we have no excuse now. We have Jesus We have the New Testament. We have the Gospels. We have then the epistles of not only word, manifest, living word in Jesus Christ, but then those that would then in this way that I'm calling all of us to, a standard, that God has already called all of us to by proxy of what? The inspired word, Old and New Testament, were to live our life differently. If you're not listening If your heart has been hardened, if you're like Ahab, even as David, you're not a man after God's own heart, then you're going to suffer the natural consequences, which would be, we're going to fight with each other and both of us are going to get killed if we go that path. I'm not going there. You go there. That's what you're going to get. It's going to be an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It is righteousness, but God warns us of that. He'd already given them the Pentateuch, or given us in the first five books of the Bible. We get the Pentateuch, but Moses had already given the law. It's there. Leviticus, we already know. They knew. Don't be the axe head. You're the handle, if anything, as with this metaphor or this parable. And one said, be content. And if you're going to conquer the world... You're going to do it in love. You're not going to do it through raising up arms and killing people and beating people into submission and taking their stuff and punishing them. And that's not just other people. That's probably a word for parents. It's probably a word for parents as with children. It's probably a word for parents as with each other. It's probably a word for husbands and wives. It's probably a word for those that you are dating. It's probably a word for those that are in your house. There's extended family. There's probably, it is probably a word for the church. It's just a word that has, again, it's very simple when you get to this point and see it spiritually. But it prevails. It's that thing that binds us all together. This is the law. It comes to, down to these two. No, there is but one God, loving with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and then love others as you love yourself. Second Kings, Kings 6, verse 3. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. 
again, part of that metaphor, you just don't go around cutting down forests. <laughs> Deforestation is not good for the ecology and the environment. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Now, there's something to be said for at least that, whoever this fellow was, that was using the axe and cried out as one was felling a beam. The axe head fell into the water and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. There has to then be at least some acknowledgement here that he understood reciprocity. And transactional terms, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, reciprocity reigns supreme. It's the next best thing. It's probably love <laughs> in this kind of Greek sort of model of friendship. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. God explained that in the Old Testament. He told his people, if you will do this, I will do that. It's just something we have to learn coming out of the fallen nature, the material, the human dimension, iniquity being what it is. We have to learn. And in that you build trust People are honorable to the word. And you can have a pretty fair operational, operationally, a pretty fair and just society based on that. But it's not salvation. Because somebody somewhere, either by intention or mistake, is going to break the law. And then you're going to go to court. And then you're going to argue. And then it's going to get political. And then you're going to have two sides. And then you're going to have this great gulf that divides none of it of God. And with that, you're going to kill yourself. That is our country. It's a society. That's what happens in marriages. Husbands kill wives. Wives kill husbands. It's what we do to our children. Aliens. Nation, separation, division. It's what we do in churches. It's what we, again, what we do worldwide, worldwide stage. It's what we've done with nature. You just kill it. You just conquer it. You just overtake it. But at least this fellow understood it was borrowed. And there's going to be a penalty if he doesn't return it. <laughs> According to the law. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Reciprocity, friendship even. And the Syrians at times were friends with Israel. Ahab was somewhat friendly in a political sort of way, but they didn't love each other. Certainly not Syrians, but Ahab didn't. And he was supposed to. And the man of God said, We're felon. And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, and he cast it in there, and the iron did swim. If Syria is the iron, God had to give them a handle. There was no way they were going to overcome the children of Israel, lest it would be thus the handle. And I think in prophetic sort of terms, not post-prophetic, but along the same prophecy. And because no one really repented along the way, especially Israel, and though the in conviction, the sentence was stayed, the idea, though, was it was still to come. And what was to come? Something far worse than anyone could imagine. And who was going to do it? The Syrians. And why were they going to do it? Because of natural consequences. This had gone on. Nobody got it on Israel's side. They didn't turn the other cheek. They didn't create any sort of 
incentive as a nation of people for Syria to do anything but to do what they were best at doing, was to conquer, to see things in transactional terms. If I got the axe head and somehow I can find a handle and it doesn't break on me and there's a tree there that I want to remove, I'm just going to cut the tree down. And I'm not going to give it much thought because I'm pretty selfish. It's in my way. It drops too many leaves. It's dying. It's dead. Who cares? No, those are all human appraisals and judgments. Only Jesus could curse the fig tree. But he doesn't curse the fig tree except by comparison. If you are the fig tree, you're going to be cast into fire, cut down, simply because with Christ passing by, if you don't bear fruit, (laughs) you are going to, of natural consequences, wither up and die. It's not God in a moment striking you dead, though I believe that can happen. As much as it is, the natural consequences is how God at least for us, don't do it out of your will. Make sure you wait upon the Lord and allow him to pronounce judgment. He's much more merciful, gracious than you, and he knows who's going to repent. Verse 7. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. And as much as anything, the iron head did swim. Finishing verse 6. And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in there, and the iron did swim. Syria was a tool, (laughs) and in that, God already knew what was going to happen. There was a purpose, but it was pruning, (laughs) it wasn't destruction. God was going to use Syria to bring a hard lesson, (laughs) accent. And removing things that needed to be removed so that when Jesus came, he would have rightful heir to the throne. He had to remove Israel, though there was kings, <laughs> Politburos. I don't guess there was kings, but certainly those individuals who were in the Pharisees, Sadducees when Jesus came. But it was that same sort of notion. There was a somewhat of a semblance of that rule. None since Solomon. Solomon had wisdom, though, until he, in apostasy, chose to cut down too many trees, do the Ahab thing, the political thing. But the idea, though, I'm trying to capture is when Jesus comes, the Romans <laughs> had it all, so that Jesus can rightly be the king of the Jews. The, the pronouncement on the cross As much as, again, the judgment of the Romans, Pilate pronounced it, he knew it was done. King of the Jews. But to really understand this fully, and where Elisha is, Elisha is, Elisha, Elisha is, in terms of what was to come, we have to go back to chapter 5, just for a moment. So what does chapter 5 have to do with any of this? (laughs) There was this fellow named Naaman. And who is Naaman? Beginning with verse 1, 2 Kings 5, 1. Now Naaman, 
captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him, it's real important, by him the Lord, with a capital L, had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, once more, <laughs> why would God give deliverance unto Syria at a real basic, again, simple level? I think I can say this without too much contention, generating too much contention. God loves everybody. There's not anyone that God would want to see perish. So all of this stuff about I'm right, they're wrong, all this stuff about the squabbles, all this transactional stuff, it serves a purpose, it is important, but it lets us know that we shouldn't be mean to one another. We shouldn't lie, we shouldn't cheat, and we shouldn't steal from one another. We shouldn't pretend we're better either than one another. We all know that. If the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, had any special place in God's heart, it would be in the sense that they were the firstborn. But as Jesus said, they're the firstborn of, or was firstborn among many brethren. The idea isn't that it's exclusive for the Hebrew people or that they should in any way, small l, lord over everyone else. It would be that they would deliver as with a handle <laughs> to the axe. They would deliver unto the world the righteousness of God so that the axe would not necessarily be just intentioned to cut things down, plow things over, run through things, to clear a path for the human dimension or element or remove anyone who gets in your way or our way but rather so that it might then be useful as unto God for the purposes that he would have in mind. And obviously Syria served the purpose. They were nemesis. And as we were speaking of just a few moments ago in the podcast, Elisha, Elisha knew that this was not said and done with the Syrians. That as much as, again, there was going to be some baptisms taking place, it would only be for the sanctification of whatever vessel that God would choose to use to bring about righteousness. That would be in a more material Old Testament dimension, as well as eternally in New Testament heavenly. Kingdom of God, Old Kingdom of Heaven, New. Not that the New Testament does not have the foundation and in that same way then justifies the Old Testament. But it is not so that we might own the world, whomever we might be, at any expense, at all costs, inclusive of getting it whatever way that we'd want it, or getting it in in whatever manner or means we might take to get what we want when we want it. Naaman... <laughs> knew how to fight. Naaman was honorable before the king of Syria. And Syria was going to be that tool that God used to correct the course of 
Israel, the Hebrew people. Was it justice? Was there judgment in it? Yes. God being the one again who could do that best. But the Syrians weren't anywhere near <laughs> the Hebrew people in terms of relationship to the extent or degree that they did not even truly recognize maybe <laughs> the one true God. Again, the two great commandments know there is but one true God. Loving with all thy heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love others as you love yourself. They may have understood the principle of a God and may have believed, obviously they did, in gods of their own making or choosing, but they were still a contentious bunch in and of themselves. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And they were still fighting with Israel and taking prisoners, as they say. And she waited on Naaman's wife, verse 3, and she said unto her mistress, Would to God my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would cure him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, small l, Thus and thus say the maid, who is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. Or the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have sent with it Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest cure him of his leprosy. And why was the king of Syria willing to do this thing? Because in that same sort of way, transactionally, Naaman was all that the king needed him to be, including willing to hold up his end of the bargain. He understood the element of transaction. He knew was ahead, what was ahead, what was the head, what was ahead of him, above him, and then what was below him. There was a hierarchy. There was all these different levels and layers of one up and one down. And though you may have occasions to go laterally, you certainly had to be careful if you went up that ladder of social status or status because as you went up certainly you still had to pay homage to the one who was higher and there was always one higher and Naaman wasn't at the top it was the king of Syria but even as the king of Syria then on behalf of Naaman who had served him well in this transactional materialistic Old Testament sort of way according to their rules which was generally speaking also the Hebrew people, they weren't much different, though they certainly had a better relationship or had better relations with God by way of proxy of the prophets. Their heart was not much better. And until Jesus came, their heart wasn't better to the saving of anyone, including themselves, sparing grace and mercy. 
Verse 7, And it came to pass when the king of Israel, whom against the king of Syria had spoken to laterally, had read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? And certainly that was true. That this man doth send unto me to cure a man of his leprosy. Now that's all true. <laughs> I don't think the king of Israel had any heart to do anything for these Syrians because they were still at war. Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And the quarrel would be along the lines of all the others. And they'd gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Because nobody at any point along the way on either side had chosen to do the godly thing. Or do it as we're once more trying to highlight on today's podcast is the God way of grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's not without righteousness. It's not without judgment. But it is a much better thing to settle quickly with God, the judge, (laughs) than to run the risk of ending up in prison yourself. Settle quickly with your adversary before the judge. And it was... When Elisha, Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why hast thou torn thy clothes? I mean, was he really upset because he couldn't help the king of Syria in this request for Naaman on behalf of Naaman? Or was he upset because he knew oh, this was just another level Another layer, another incident, another circumstance of conflict. And did he really need that? Did he really want that? Did he want that on his head? Did he want that on him? Did he even have a conscience to care? I think he did. But again, he wasn't much, if any, better than Ahab. The worst, by the way, of all the kings of Israel. Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And this is Elisha saying this, Elisha, saying this about Naaman. If you don't want him king, I'm going to take him. I'm going to receive him, I should put it that way. Because I'm going to show him that of all the gods that they worship, that you worship Naaman, of all the transactional material dimensions of your own making, of your own hands, the idols, the justifications, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, the human understanding and comprehension as limited and albeit as it is iniquity could not comprehend what I'm going to show you. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha and Elisha Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Repent. The baptism. Remember in chapter 6, they'd gone to the Jordan. That's where the axe handle went in. That's where, again, the stick was thrown, the axe head. And then the stick was thrown as the axe handle by Elisha because it was borrowed. And who's going to be using it? (laughs) Elisha was going to use the tool. Who was going to order Elisha? Elisha? 
It was God. But what was he going to do? He was going to do something that was so incredible that no one could deny that the one true God was with at least Elisha, Elisha, but resided in Israel. And as much Elisha, Elisha did not speak directly to Naaman, he sent a messenger unto him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Be baptized. Be sanctified. Be cleansed. I mentioned earlier Jesus and John the Baptist in the River Jordan. I mentioned before the Hebrew people left the wilderness and came into the promised land. They had to pass through the Jordan. And with that, be cleansed. So that as they took on all of these different peoples, the calling of God that he had given to Joshua and Caleb, yes, they came back with the report, there's giants in the land, but God knows how to win it over for us. Nobody of the generation of Moses made it into the promised land. Those that did had to be sanctified. What was the wilderness about? The intention was, I believe... Manna from heaven to prove once and for all nothing happens except God would be the one to part the Red Sea, give you exile or exodus, in a good way, exodus, exile, exodus from Egypt, freed from Pharaoh, but not so that you could turn into Pharaoh, not so that Moses could lord over or even in his last sort of resort for righteousness sake, out of his flesh, rather than allowing the rock, who was Jesus, to be smote. He smote the rock out of what? Anger, albeit, (laughs) as he came off the mountain, it was called righteous indignation. But that's not the plan of God. You're not to come off mountains and Break tablets and do it your way. You have to come off the mountain or the holy ground, seeing the glory of the Lord, watching it pass by, but only being able to comprehend the hinder parts, asking, shoo me your glory. And when God did shoo Moses, his glory, he had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock because he could not see this dimension. Moses was going to have to die to himself and that impulse to kill. Thou shalt not kill. Shall not. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, Naaman. No end to it. The human vessel is cleansed repeatedly, if not daily, multiple times over the course of a 24-hour period of time. But even as entering into the Hebrews 4, Rest, it's not just for a Sabbath day. (laughs) It's allowing Jesus, our advocate with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, the sword, (laughs) piercing, dividing, asunder, piercing to the dividing, asunder of soul and spirit, joy and marrow, to cleanse us, not from the outside, hoping that somehow that would cleanse us within, but as with Hebrews 4, which will give us, grant us access into his labor, not our own. Get it? 
point. That's the point. It was from the inside out. We're to be persons after God's own heart. We're to make habitation in our own heart for the Lord. And to our discovery that it's he's been there, the Holy Spirit has been there all along, but we have to <laughs> remove the human element, the iniquity that goes with it so that we can then do the will of God, be the righteous instrument. But it's not transactional, and it's not our judgment. And if you do this, Naaman, according to Elisha or his messenger, thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Clean of what? His leprosy. But Naaman was angry. Which you can't be cleansed and sanctified if you're angry. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, not his messenger, and stand. (laughs) Naaman thought himself, I would guess kind of comparable, lateral, in terms of status and position, in that transactional way. Naaman thought himself equal to Elisha. Maybe a little lesser, but certainly about the same place. And call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and cure the leprosy. But even as much he might have thought himself equal, he obviously understood at some level he was not. Because why? Because... On a whim, maybe a long shot, a last-ditch effort, the mighty man of valor that Naaman was, the one that knew how to follow the rules and the orders, even if they were Syrian, had to come to someone who he might have thought to be somewhat inferior to him. It's a slippery slope. It's a dicey sort of proposition. And he was mad because surely if he were better than me, then we'd have all this pomp and circumstance. Isn't that what holy men do? Isn't that what kings do? Isn't that what gods do? They put themselves on a pedestal and you worship them. No, God comes down and takes on flesh and bone, or in flesh, bone, marrow. And he ministers out of a servant's heart in the image of Jesus, not the Nazareth of Nazareth. Jesus, the Christ, and out of the Holy Spirit. Elisha was about to show Naaman prophetically what it was going to look like. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus Better than all the waters of Israel. Not if they're the living waters. Not if out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. As Jesus told the Samaritan woman. Get that. Samaritan. Samaria. And with that, all of this. Nicely, neatly tied together. May I not wash in them and be clean? No, Naaman. Because they're not. 
if there is the river of living water proceeding from the throne of God in the book of Revelation as the new Jerusalem comes down, this is all but a counterfeit. The Nile is a counterfeit. It's water. It's good for the material. It's necessary. It's essential. It's needful. There's no question about that. There's life in those waters, but they're not living waters. The Jordan was the source of living water, not because the water was any different. The holy water is not any different than that which is not. It's the vessel that contains the holy water that sanctifies and cleanses as with baptism, as with water, but more so. baptism of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit? Once again, the fruit of the Spirit being love, it's the heart of God who loves us and is not intentioned to destroy anyone. Rather, came as a servant so that we might know he's not about pedestals. He's not about lording over you in that way. He loves you and knows that love never comes back. Void. An act of sacrifice always has an intentioned result, except for those who don't receive it. But the only ones that don't receive it are the ones that, by consequence of all the squabbles, the anger, you're not playing fair. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Anger with wrath. Anger with conflict, anger with conquest in mind, anger with raising a sword, anger with numbering the people. They're never going to see the meek shall inherit the earth. They're never going to see God. Moses couldn't see God. That's why he did not, he was not granted access into the promised land. May not, may I not wash in them and be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke unto him and said, <laughs> Servants now. Again, Jesus the servant. We're ministry of reconciliation. We're disciples of Christ. We are now one because of Jesus, the Christ, one with God in Christ Jesus. These things I do and more shall you do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is again the power of the Holy Spirit? It's love. And the servants came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? Of course he would have. Because his reward in a transactional way, you do great things, you're going to get great rewards. And I don't deny that. Who is worthy and a little is granted then the most. That's not wrong. It's you just don't start there. You start with, I am a child of God. I have been saved by Jesus Christ through the atonement of, <laughs> for my sin, the iniquity of the world as with humankind. God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and was put to a cross and crucified and really was the king of kings or king of the Jews. And they received him not 
but I'm going to be different. I'm going to see where this is not about grandiose thinking. This is not about narcissism or narcissistic wounds. That's the leprosy. This is not transactional. This is not materialistic. This is divine. This is Holy Spirit. This is God-inspired. This is Jesus alive in you and me who are ambassadors of Christ and had entered or have entered into his ministry, which is a ministry of reconciliation. Two great commandments. First unto God and then unto one another in what? The Holy Spirit in what? Love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Out of the mouth of babes, or the ignorant, or the foolish. Then went he down, and this is Naaman, and dipped himself seven times, as instructed. At least he knew that part of it. The instructional, the transactional dimension. He was well acquainted with that. In the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. God cleans us up. (laughs) We let him. God heals us. The balm of Gilead. God heals us. The Holy Spirit. God heals us of all of our infirmities. God heals us. God restores us. God sets us on solid ground out of the murky mire. And as you walk through the matter of shed of death, you shouldn't be afraid of the evil that's all around you. Because God has delivered you unto you in Jesus Christ, entry into the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God for all those who would enter in. Now, before you pass on, To be with the Lord and exit all of this transactional stuff. But for the sake that Naaman would get the point, because he was very transactionally minded, the leprosy was removed. And I don't know, we don't contend much with leprosy these days. It doesn't seem. I'm so thankful to God we don't. It sounds like it was quite the thing to contend with and really had no answer in a medical sort of way. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't know if there's a cure for leprosy yet. I don't know if there's something you can do to prevent it as a contagion, all I know is <laughs> pandemics are horrible. <laughs> you can kind of slow it down a bit, but you can't stop it. I don't want leprosy. I don't want something in my flesh that would otherwise be committing sin unto death. I don't want my iniquity to bring me to a point, as John pointed out. There's a difference between Sins unto death and just sin that's going to keep you or the most sin, the highest, most severe sin that's going to keep you out of heaven. I don't want out of heaven, kept out of heaven. If God's going to give me away in Jesus and what's required is for me to be Christ-like, why would I not accept that? Naaman, (laughs) call me David, just call me Naaman. Get this leprosy off of me. 
And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Naaman was going to pay for it. You don't pay for this stuff. I think it was Simon the sorcerer, I may have that wrong, that wanted to pay for it. And Paul got all over his case, as they used to say. Maybe it's Peter. Maybe it's Peter that got all over his case. I can't remember apologetically. So, but the case was, you don't buy this stuff. This is divinely given. (laughs) This is Jordan seven times given. This is Repent. This is, you can't be transactional with God. You can't outgive God. If you get anything from God, it's because He loves you. <laughs> Naaman received this from Elisha, or the acts, actions, acts of Elisha. Elisha. Because God blessed Elisha and Elisha. Elisha, Elisha. To do this. For Naaman. Now, would that have spared Israel? I don't know, but it's still continuing to present what could have. It's just don't fight with them, minister to them. Don't argue with them, minister to them. Don't beat them down, beat them up, don't kick them out, don't kill them, minister to them. Don't raise up arms. Minister to them. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. <laughs> Naaman repented, at least for the moment. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. I'm going to pay you for this because I know that's how it works. But he said, as the Lord liveth before before whom I stand, I will receive none. And this is Elisha, Elisha. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? Well, if you're not going to take it because you're so high-minded or you're already there, you're now Naaman saying, no, you are way above me. In a moment, he's finally getting some perspective on all of this and maybe even catching a glimpse of heaven. <laughs> he's seeing Jesus in Elisha, Elisha in the moment. But the rest of us, we're just going to live in this kind of materialistic, eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-tooth existence. And they're going to need these mules, For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering or sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. It's going to go to a good place, Elisha, Elisha. They're not going to take it and offer it to anybody else. They're going to surely understand what you're teaching me in this moment. You've revealed to me. They've been hanging out with you. No, no. Remember the prophets went down to the Jordan and still were transactional. Chapter 6. We started with it today. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leaneth 
on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow down myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. Naaman got it. Naaman received the blessing. How many of us could say the same thing, though? God's been so merciful. He spared us from so many things. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from the end. Can't you see, Balaam, the angel of the Lord in front of us, the donkey speaking? Don't do this thing. And then we go right ahead and do it. Balaam. Naaman wasn't going to change. How do we know he didn't change? Because if you read on in 2 Kings, which we obviously don't have time to do on today's podcast, you find out that this was in proximity immediate to the siege. And with that, the famine in the land. And with that, mothers boiling their babies for food. And with that, the fire completely totally going out on the altar. The house of Israel no longer had a conscience. Could not be rekindled until Jesus came again. Even so, breathing breath of life, even so, not only word, he didn't come to overturn the word, but to fulfill it. Even so, in case you missed it, folks, this is what it looks like to do God's will. And in case you missed it, folks, if you don't do God's will, the leprosy is going to end up on you again. You may be stayed your execution, the judgment. I don't know if it's execution, the judgment. I was thinking about death penalties and all that. But if you go right back and do it again, if you go back and worship these other gods, even if you've had an encounter with the one true God and in the moment you're in, Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And you go back. You take your hand off the plow. You're no better than Lot's wife. You're going to be turned to a pillar of salt. Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said unto him, go in peace. And he departed from him a little way. Now, should Elisha, Elisha argued more with Naaman? Should he have said, oh, but Naaman, how did you miss it? Oh, Naaman, oh, I can't believe you missed it. Oh, please, Naaman, understand. Oh, Naaman, it's not transactional. It's got nothing to do with conditional love because you would never win that you would never be equal to God. Naaman, stop thinking that way. You can't even think or not think, think differently, not think that way when it comes to me. Israel, stop thinking that way. Syria, stop thinking that way. Stop arguing, fighting, stop killing one another. Elisha, Elisha just said <laughs> obvious truth. Yeah, go in peace then. Oh, would it be, were it to be that he could. And maybe if Naaman had changed, maybe, but that didn't happen. I mean, I could go down that path, but that's just me. It's, <laughs> I don't understand that. 
How could you walk away? How could you not see the glory of the Lord? How could you hide yourself in the cleft of the rock when God passed by? How do you hide yourself in the cleft of the rock when Jesus passed by? Passes by. I'm so glad I didn't have to see it because it could have been the death of me. But it is the death of you, but that's the celebration. Be glad. Be joyful that you can lay down your life. No greater love than to lay down your life for another. Jesus said that. Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Why? I don't know if Naaman had anything to do with that other than that's as far as his his feet, his his transportation, if he's riding on an ass or a horse or whatever it was. I can't remember. Could take him in the time that lapsed. (laughs) But it wasn't too fast because Gehazi, verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, who should have had all of this, Who should have known all of this? If Elisha was there with Elijah and knew enough to ask for the mantle, certainly Gehazi would have been in the best place in a similar way, in the similar place to ask for that from Elisha. But he didn't. What did he do? He did the same thing Naaman did. He chased after Naaman. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, Balaam, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Oh, you know, it's transactional. After all that they've done to us, after all that we've been through, I've kept my mouth shut thus far. I've let them do what they had to do. I've allowed the God, God, the man of God, God's man, to speak. I've allowed Jesus to have his will and his way. But, you know, I'm gonna, I've got to get something out of this. I mean, we had to go down this road together. It's been a difficult road up to this point. I've sworn some... <laughs> <laughs> some servitude or status of servitude. Maybe I was pressed in. I don't know enough about Gehazi to know if he was a servant. He wasn't as good as Naaman. I can tell you that because Naaman knew exactly how to serve the king of Syria. Well, but what did Gehazi do? Followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he alighted from the chariot. So he wasn't on a horse or a donkey, but there was a, undoubtedly a horse or donkey pulling him in the chariot. Probably a horse. To meet him and said, Is all well? I could just imagine. Huh. I put the bait out there. Let's see. Is this really the God of all? Is it possible? Now that I'm the leprosy's off of me, I don't have to worry about it quite in the same ways. I don't even have to put up with these lesser. Maybe they are lesser. Maybe, maybe I was right. Maybe Syria is justified in what they're doing. Is all well? asked Naaman. And he said, Gehazi, all is well. Huh, Gehazi, it's, uh, Naaman, it's all well. No change. <laughs> Except, I'm coming with my hand out. Can't you just kind of spread the love a little bit? Give me a little bit of favor here, a little bit of favor there. Grease the palm a bit. Backroom deals. You do this, I'll do that, right? This is all sort of this transaction. Look what we did for you. You owe us. 
My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there are come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. <laughs> Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. That's an out-and-out lie. How quickly, how fast you can fall into such a state of apostasy. Obviously, Elisha, Elijah didn't say any of that. If you need some support for that proclamation, I'm going to read on. And Naaman said, be content, take two talents. Oh, come on. Yeah, that's what we do. Naaman knew when Gehazi went there, it was over. Because Naaman knew when it came to those kind of things, for sure, he could take on Gehazi. For sure, if this is all that there was, maybe again, as Naaman had said to Elisha, Elisha, well, you're on this mountaintop, eh, but the rest of these folks, we can handle them. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bore them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house and he let the men go and they departed. This all Gehazi stuff. How could you go back? I'm thinking, it's like, and you're going to go back to God. You're going to go back to the person that just <laughs> healed this man of leprosy. You're going to go back to this person that maybe, maybe in that way, Gehazi thought, oh, well, it's all free. Nobody's going to be held accountable. <laughs> it's not true. There's accountability. It's just natural consequences. And should God intercede and step in, he's only going to do that in alignment with what he's already established in the way of natural consequences. The wages of sin is death. Not only once, but you get the second death as an added bonus. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, From where camest thou, Gehazi? Well, maybe Gehazi was not in his own head so much. Maybe his narcissism allowed him to at least catch a glimpse that this was not necessarily a setup, but you can't hide anything from God. You can't hide anything from Elisha, the man of God. If you try to hide this stuff, Hanias and Sapphira, you try to hide this from God, and they did drop dead. <laughs> I think it was him first and then her second. But one right after the other, and they hauled them out. And everyone knew, New Testament church-wise, book of Acts, what that was all about. You can't lie, cheat, and steal, S-T-E-A-L, and get into heaven. You can't be angry. You can't be bitter. Because for all the lying, cheating, and stealing, what you do unto others is going to be done unto you. It's not karma. It's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It is Old Testament righteousness and judgment. It is still true to this very day. The only reason you can hope for grace and mercy 
is when you truly repent out of a changed heart. Are you prone to sinning again? Yes. Will you sin again? Most likely. Hopefully you won't carry the same measure of iniquity. Hopefully you won't lie to yourself, as with narcissism, as with denial, or others in quite the same way. Hopefully you won't get to the point where you've hardened your heart, you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You've got to the place where... You have fallen into such a state of apostasy that you've been turned over to a reprobate mind. Ahab. And Elisha said, Elisha said unto him, From where comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went, eh, not here or there, and eh, just been out and about. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? Of course it went with him. God knows all. God's in you. He is your conscience, what little bit you may have. He still has imparted, he has imparted his spirit into you. And you still have a remnant residual of that, even if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Why do I say that? Because it is him who then otherwise would even have enough awareness, not natural awareness, not natural intellect. Logic will not lead you to Jesus. You'll go to Jesus. But once you find out the dying and the crucifixion part, the servitude part, the suffering servant part as with Isaiah 53 you'll have nothing to do with it and if you have anything to do with it you will do it politically you will do it in a shallow shell sort of way you will be a whitewashed sepulcher or fast moving toward that with rotting stench of death within you will be the supreme hypocrite which is the devil who is the antichrist who gives all appearances of an angel of light but really he's got no metal in him nor a heart to do anything but serve himself went not thy, mine heart with thee when the man turned from his chariot to beat thee which man which man it was Naaman Elisha, Elisha knew. And it is, or is it, a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Now, face value, getting back to the beginning of the podcast, that's a pretty simple statement. Well, that's really the whole point. It's not a transactional thing. It's a God thing. It's a supernatural thing. And though God, because of our humanity, is forced to relate to us, we force him to show his grace and mercy, his love for us in transactional material terms, and is sorely disappointed until we come to Jesus that we really don't learn fast enough or quick enough. God doesn't live in time, but it's to our harm that we don't. We're not quick enough learners, we don't give ourselves to Christ or even as I was mentioning a moment ago, we turn because we don't want to go that route when we understand what that really is going to require of us. But in a very, 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 very pragmatic, practical way, I think Elisha, Elijah, Elisha, did it again, sorry, was talking about all of that bad stuff that was going to happen, the siege of the city, all of the things that Naaman was going to go back 
because he served the king of Syria. That was his bread and butter. That was who he served. He served the devil. He didn't serve God. God used them to achieve righteousness. God put the handle on the axe head so that the tree could be cut down. Elisha, Elisha knew this. And this is very literal. There wasn't any food. It was a famine. They were boiling babies. It was a famine. They were under siege. There was no water. It was horrible. It was terrible. It was awful. All at the hands of not only the Syrians, but quite possibly Naaman. Is that evil? Yes. Is it right? No. Should Naaman have repaid in this way? Did, no. Did Gehazi, oh, did the devil use Gehazi, Satan, Lucifer, Baal, Belel, use Gehazi to steal the seed before it really took root? I know that happens. There's many people that get saved and walk away from the altar, so to speak, and that moment, and it doesn't last. Jesus said it wouldn't. It's the seed that falls on rock and shallow ground. Only, only a few seeds really will take deep root. But the idea, I think, here is that Naaman ended up <laughs> out-tricking, out-maneuvering. Maybe the king of Israel was right. He's just coming to give me trouble. Why do you send to your servant Naaman to me? It's trouble. Oh, it's trouble. <sighs> Verse 27. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cling unto thee and unto thy seed eternally forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. I, I don't want to put down those who have leprosy. I don't think it's because they're evil. I don't think it's because this is their punishment. I don't think that God has hell stored up for them on earth. And leprosy is possibly the most hellish. <laughs> if you asked me about three years ago, I'd say COVID was. During all the lockdowns and the mask wearing and all that stuff. Whoa. I have flashbacks when I think about all that. How evil all of that, how much evil all of that spawned, has spawned. We're seeing the fruits of it today. People don't go to church. People don't know who to trust. We've lost trust in our institutions. We've lost trust in our government. There's lying, cheating, and stealing. We had to go fight a war to get all of that out of the way so we could be distracted, or at least the masses distracted, so we didn't go any deeper into what was going on. I, the devil is just cunning. He uses all power on earth as with Antichrist to get his will. And he's very good at it. It's the same as Naaman serving the king of Syria. 
If there is in this an axe handle, a threshing floor, the wheat and the tares, if hell itself is the purging and the removal of the dross, <laughs> then God's going to use it. But I do think the leprosy here in this passage was the Gehazi, worse than Naaman, knew and went right back to it. And what would you expect? You're going to feel like it's going to kill you. You're going to feel like you're not going to survive it. You're going to feel like you're not going to overcome it. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be anxious. You're going to have conditions, disease, and disorder, including behavioral health and physical health conditions. I have to throw that in there because what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministries got to say something about that counseling. That's all world talk if it's not based in God talk. What's God talk? You're not going to make it into heaven if you're not one with Jesus. That's spiritually one with Jesus, but spiritually one with Jesus, accepting him as Lord and Savior then gives you the power to overcome. But it doesn't give you the power to conquer. It doesn't give you justification to ruin. It doesn't give you cause to raise, as in R-A-Z-E, destroy, kill. You can't kill in the name of Jesus. You cannot kill in the name of Jesus. It won't work. It won't happen. There's worse for you who tries that. And the worst is that you sear your own conscience when that falls out of your mouth. You can't do that. Hopefully you've never had to. Nobody's ever asked you to. But there's more than one way to kill your neighbor. (laughs) Don't kill your neighbor. Love them. It's okay to say what's right and what's wrong. It's okay to be the example. It's okay, too, if they get mad at you because you're Jesus and they want to crucify you or in the name of Jesus because you're taking on Christ or Christ is allowing himself or you've allowed Christ. He has given unto you, allowed himself to go to the cross so that you might, that's the way way I want to say that, be an example of him in this world. But you can't kill him. You can't. Most people (laughs) come to me not because they've chosen to go the way of Baal or Balaam or serving the devil. They're just in the conflict and the struggle, which will always be there because that is iniquity. (laughs) You are the battleground, but you have a mighty warrior who has overcome all in Jesus the Christ. And in the end, no matter what you might go through, as with some of this sort of squabble, wrangling, just settle quickly with your adversary. (laughs) So that when you go before the judge, the judge doesn't throw you into prison. (laughs) Far worse. Eternal damnation. Because when it's all said and done, 
nobody's going to remember any of that. But that's good. Because <laughs> when you're in Jesus, when you pass on and then all that's cast into the sea of forgetfulness, when that's all behind you, when you don't even remember your name, it's all Jesus. It's a new name. <laughs> it's maybe not Jesus. I'm not sure... Jesus is purposeful for us now. I don't know. It's a new name, new identity, new creature, even not human in Christ Jesus. You won't remember any of this, but it'll be to your great advantage because there'll be no tears in heaven. But for the rest of you who won't remember any of that in material context, you won't remember it because you didn't do it or that there isn't some direct tie to the choices that you made in this world, this material existence, life. It'll be by the time you go to hell, it'll be all anguish and torment. You'll just be mad all the time. You'll be with ashes from within. Not the sanctification fire. As with the Hebrews for rest, the devil will destroy you. You will burn up. You will have no resting place. That's not what you want. That's what I tell folks when they come see me. What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Service? Or see me at Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. And tell you on the podcast, what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry? Jesus is the answer. For everything, everything, the small things to the large things. Should you want to reach out to us, it's 304-528-9220, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com, covenants online.com at Facebook and on YouTube at Covenants. But you can always join us again for the next edition of the podcast. We drop it weekly. I really appreciate those of you who listen and stay with me for the duration. And I do sincerely hope that it is a word of God that blesses you. And that I am true to that. That's what you'll get with the counseling. But until we get a chance to meet again, I not only want to (laughs) say God bless, but I want to wish you all that those blessings have to offer. Jesus. Until we get a chance to meet again. Thanks.